As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Vredestein Penza AT. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. The Volume. Colin Cowherd podcast brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. My guest today is the New York Times bestselling author, James Andrew Miller. He's written the definitive oral histories of Saturday Night Live, ESPN, CAA, and the latest is called Tinderbox. We'll detail the history of HBO. He also writes and hosts the podcast Origins about the beginnings of major TV shows, movies, sports teams. The most recent episode chronicles the making of the movie Almost Famous. Kind of fascinating, really. We listened and features in-depth interviews with the cast and crew. Introducing now, James Andrew Miller. So you generally, James, uh, exclusively go big game hunting. So HBO is your next book. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, to me, there was an elegance to HBO. They were the first in pay, you know, purview TV, pay for TV. Um, th- th- but it's not linear, as you know, James. Uh, ESPN at one point was the biggest earner for Disney, and they've had rough patches. And now perhaps with ESPN, you know, plus they're rebounding. What was the high point to you in the history of HBO and what has been the low point? Oh gosh. Well, you know, it's 49 years. And I think that one of the things that I've come to realize about HBO is that it's almost like this topsy turvy roller coaster ride where it's, there's nothing sing there there've been high points and there've been low points and there've been more high points and then more low points. It's not, there's not like, it's not, there's not a single trajectory. Uh, 
And I think that much like ESPN and CA and SNL, these are all four places that started from the most humble of beginnings in the 1970s and went on to be big brands. Um, I think that one of the things that I'd come away from is it's not a continuum. It's not, it's not one single narrative. And I think that that to me has been the most fascinating, charting that and tracing the pedigree of these various successes and failures along the way. There, there was a little bit of a narrative that, you know, when the Netflix model came out, um, Hulu's and Netflix, Amazon Prime, that HBO was not as effective. But, but from a simply anecdotal standpoint, I still watch a lot of HBO. Um, are their numbers vibrant now? Are they doing okay? Because I still find a lot of their content, uh, content excellent. Well, you know, the whole numbers game is... It's so interesting with HBO because for much of their history, they didn't really care about rating. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, by the way, the greatest thing about premium pay TV is you can call anything a success. <laughs> Just keep it on. It's not like it's not like every Tuesday morning the numbers come out, right? If you take away the ratings, it's like, I don't, I mean, you could have a show that where friends and relatives are watching. Just keep it on. Just say, well, it's a success. We're thrilled with it. We just think it's fantastic. And so a lot of times they didn't have to worry about that baggage. Now, of course, everybody's into how many subs HBO Max has versus how many Disney Plus has versus Peacock and everything else. So there are some metrics that get in the way. But I think that one of the things that HBO clearly proved, particularly once the new century began, was that they were going to try and be as independent of the ratings as as they as they possibly could. You know, it, James, it's really funny. There is a cottage industry that monitors ratings. I, I always laugh when people say, well, the, this NFL playoff game was down 2%, as if networks get money back, uh, you know, w- when the numbers are down. I mean, the NFL basically tells every network what you're going to pay, and that's what you pay. Do you think there's too much concern about actual ratings? I, I I wish people would talk more about content and less about ratings, but I do think there's an industry of people who follow it, get retweeted, and it's it, it's become a thing. Right, because it's an organizing principle for the ecosystem. Right, I mean it's how they it's how they sell airtime. It's how they sometimes decide, particularly in the broadcast networks, whether or not something can endure you know the the wire for instance on hbo was never a huge hit in terms of numbers really but my gosh oh yeah oh yeah it was never a huge hit but it was a critical success it was it is certainly one of the great dramas that's that have ever appeared on television hbo or elsewhere and so they were able to turn their you know turn their attention away from that if if the wire had been on a broadcast network, that thing would have been baked after a season. <laughs> Is there anything at HBO you've discovered, James Miller joining us, that actually did better? Um, the antithesis of the wire did better than people like me would guess. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. There have been plenty of surprises because at the end of the day, we still have William Goldman telling us in our ear that nobody knows anything. So I think that even though they sometimes greenlit a show and put a show on, they might've had modest expectations and then all of a sudden it erupts. And again, there's a lot of different ways to define success. 
maybe there was a show that they put on where they didn't think it might garner high numbers, but all of a sudden it became a critical favorite or it became a cult favorite or it started winning a ton of awards or something. So there's there's enough things out there where they could define things in any way they want to justify what they were doing. Yeah. You know, um, I was obviously a, a big Sopranos fan. It literally changed my Sunday night viewing. Um, and I and I always thought Jim Lampley was sort of the epitome of what boxing blow by blow should be. So I had my favorites. I'm a huge Bill Maher fan, have been for years. I think John Oliver is very clever. But um, w- was it difficult when you go after some of the and not go after it's an oral history. So you you are quoting people throughout. Was HBO more or less difficult to get people to talk? Are, are there a lot of people that are celebratory in terms of it, very proud of it? Or is there some is it at times a little covert and secretive when you go after an HBO? Um, well, this time I'm doing a lot more of my own writing. I've interviewed over 625 people wow. for the book. And uh, so that's been great. And I've been really blessed by the cooperation. But I also feel like there's an opportunity to do a lot more writing this time. And I think that, you know, look, a lot of people feel very, very attached to HBO. Even if they've gone on to other places, it's, I hear from stars and directors, executives who work there. It is this place that uh, winds up being a really big and powerful and emotional blip on people's radars in their lives. And, uh, and so that's been a, a, you know, pretty much a constant theme. By the way, Lampley is ridiculous because, you know, you talk to him and I, oh, by the way, that that fight between this one and that one. Oh, yeah. You know, that he tells you the date that he says, yeah, that third round, two <laughs> minutes and 13 seconds, <laughs> third round when he flew the when he threw that left hook. I mean, it's like, Lamps, are you kidding me? Like, I, is there somebody that's bugging my computer and you knew I was going to mention that to you? How the hell do you, do you know that 25 years later? Yeah, he he's. um He's Costas-like in that he's encyclopedic with his knowledge. Um, but, you know, he he wanted to initially be an executive. So I think he's always seen the broadcast from an, ex, an executive and producing point of view. Because, as you know, unlike other sports, boxing be, can become a circus, James, very quickly. <laughs> with live events and live interviews and r- promoters. We've had fights in the ring. And I, I always thought Jim was unique in that. He he broadcast as a producer where I'm just a broadcaster or Costas or Al Michaels. Um, I always thought Jim attacked it differently. That was always my view on Jim, that he's one of the few on air people that could have been an executive. And when you interviewed him, do you get that sense of depth of knowledge beyond just broadcasting? Yes, because he's always a step ahead in terms of understanding what the company was going through as well. Yes. So as a result. He's able to anticipate, like, for instance, you know, there was, he he understands when a fighter is about to go to a different network and why. He understands, he's very proactive. His entire intellect is about being proactive, anticipating things, thinking about things before even his bosses were doing it. And as a result, it's both a blessing and a curse because he's got so much that he's thinking about all the time. It's, it's, It's actually pretty extraordinary that he's as clear and clean and precise as he is on the broadcast because he has so many things in his head. 
I think the last time we spoke, Jim, um, we said there was a lot of uh, dust in the air and it would settle over the next two years. So we've had a, you know, six months or so since we last spoke about the streaming wars and the fluidity in the real game of what's happening now. Everything is changing. Do you feel in the last six months that the broadcast industry, maybe the cable industry, OTT, that it's gotten its footing a little and there's a little more stability and direction? Do you feel more confidently about it, less confidently? Where do you stand today? I still think that we're not going to be able to have the number of players that we have now, uh, let's say four or five years from now. But I think what the pandemic has done is it may it is it has made things. This is not the greatest laboratory for us to un, to un, to really understand things because you have all these different strategies out there. You have people spending a lot more time at home, so their willingness to to subscribe to things um, might be bigger than it will be once they get out and about. Uh, so it's a very delicate time. But I do think that we're, what we're starting to see, though, is, I mean, look, it used to be a question of when people would move to streaming or when they would, I mean, look, all that toothpaste is out of the tube. So we've officially entered a new era. And I think that everybody understands that. So we'll see how it shakes out. But I can't imagine all these players um, you know, some of these players not be being gobbled up by others in the next several years. The next time you're watching basketball, I've got the perfect way for you to get in on the action for free. I'm talking about NBA in play, absolutely free to play on the FanDuel app and features all the fun of live betting. NBA in play turns every quarter of every game into a free contest where you can win real cash prizes. So while you're watching the game, all you have to do is predict the outcomes of plays and game props before they happen to claim your share of the prize pool. Best of all, a new contest starts every quarter of every game, giving you even more ways to win. FanDuel is the exclusive home for NBA in-play, so the action is always available right at your fingertips on the FanDuel app. The app is easy to use. It takes less than two minutes to sign up. I did. It's a breeze. And it doesn't matter where you live or where you're traveling to because NBA in-play is available in every state. Don't miss your shot. Get in the game and download the FanDuel app to start playing NBA in play today. You know, um, a few years ago, you had said ESPN had a troubled marriage with social media. Um, and, and again, just on a personal note, um, in the last year, I've sort of changed my social media. I'm more active on Instagram, which which feels to me like a happier place, a more joyful existence. Um, I put up filters on Twitter. I no longer, I just, sometimes I don't post for long stretches. When I do, I, I don't get any feedback because I've got so many filters on. And I do think these companies are trying to get rid of trolls a, as quickly as they can. But I have noticed, um, you know, I have, I have moved off and away more from Twitter in more toward Instagram. Um, do you think the networks and their personalities, ESPN is one, how have they dealt with it? Where are they at? Where do you think we're at in terms of, you know, there was a there was about a two year stretch where, you know, companies were suspending people on a weekly basis. Right. Well, say goodbye to all that, because this has been the most fundamental paradigm shift we've seen since 2009, when social media really started to get activated. You know, remember, ESPN was 
not only throwing out suspensions, but they were being incredibly controlling in terms of what their talent and producers, all employees for that matter, were saying on social media. And now because of all the social unrest and some of what we've gone through as a society uh, on a variety of issues like racial equality and others, there's, they realized that they could not hold back anymore. And so it is once again, the wild, wild west. And I think that as a result, you're starting to see that the companies, there's no, you know, like we don't want sports contain, we don't want sports mixing with politics, which was always a dubious proposition. It was almost impossible to uh, legislate or enforce. And now you have people at ESPN and other places, I mean, unless they, unless they say something hateful, unless they say something personally disgusting, they can share their personal views in a way that they've never been able to do before. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Now we have an exploding podcast space, an exploding sports gaming space. And podcasting is interesting. As you know, you're on the volume sports. This is my new little company. Everybody, you know, there's countless people at Fox have their own. Uh, I've got a company, uh, you know, uh, Cousin Sal has one. I, You know, it, it's interesting. It used to be that a broadcaster like me or a sportscaster, you know, I basically had two companies to choose from. Now I can control large chunks of my audio space. Um, do you um, do you think that makes companies uncomfortable or do you think they've come to the realization to keep elite talent? You can't own them. They, they're going to have some personal control. Right. I mean, I think that there's a, been a journey about intellectual property that's really important. When you were at ESPN, just think about the constraints that they had on you in terms of your expansion and your own identity and your own IP. That's They realize now that they have to let people like yourself become entrepreneurs. And there's a variety of revenue streams and creative outlets that they may or may not be able to control just by making a deal. And so as a result, these deals have been get, getting a lot more complicated and people have a lot more opportunities now and flexibility about what they do. James Miller joining me. He's written the definitive books on HBO, Saturday Night Live, ESPN, CAA, and the latest to Tinderbox details the history of HBO. Something as a kid I don't think my family could afford, uh, but I've come to love it through boxing, Bill Maher, and other shows. Sopranos, for me, was most notable. So there was a company out there um, that lasted very briefly, a Quibi. And um, anytime you have a great success, it's copied. Anytime you have a great failure, um, it is also, it's a great cautionary tale. So were you shocked that it went sideways so fast? And what is the lesson, in your opinion, to be learned about that? I'll start with the second question first, because I think the big, big lesson, which we've seen from time to time, but the truth is it's a, it's a helpful memory, is that reminder, is that Jeffrey Katzenberg, Meg Whitman, people like Doug Herzog, and extraordinarily talented people with unbelievable pedigrees, terrific track records. It doesn't mean that they're guaranteed success. Now, I think one of the things that Jeffrey pointed out was that Quibi 
started right when the pandemic did. And that's that could be deleterious to their fortunes. Uh, you know, some people say that that didn't matter. But the truth is that they were well funded. They had a really, really smart management team, smart, creative people, and it still failed. So I think it's, you know, I was I was kind of intrigued to see whether or not it was going to work. I I didn't know for sure because I hadn't seen any of their product, but it was very clear pretty quickly that the marketplace wasn't really interested. It wasn't intrigued by what was going on there. Yeah, you know, you know it, it's interesting when I look at um I'm not surprised Disney um, is now a viable contender for Netflix. And I should start by saying that is true, right? That that Disney Plus is working, is successful. It has surpassed expectations. Is that true? Oh, yes, yes. Okay. On, uh, absolutely. Their own and the marketplaces. Okay, so if Disney and Netflix are the leaders in, in that streaming space, is there a third? Is there one you think will be? Is there a top five that is this morning clear and definitive? Well, remember something, since the goal here is to be profitable and you don't have to be as, you don't have to be as big as Netflix or Disney plus to be quote unquote successful. So the question is Peacock and HBO max and now Paramount, Apple plus lots of other places that are doing streaming. Is there room for them to have their own path without being the behemoth that Netflix is without being the behemoth that Disney Plus is. I mean, look, Netflix has always enjoyed a bit of an advantage because they're perceived as a tech company. So even they don't have to show earnings. Right. They have this wonderful presence in the <laughs> in, in the stock market. And they just they're playing by different rules. And so the question is, I think that there's one of the things that you're starting to see now is that these uh, some of these other streamers are touting their own success stories, but they just don't have the volume. They don't have the numbers that Netflix does, but that doesn't mean that they can't be profitable, successful, and still something people want. You know, uh, one of the things that's been interesting, this may sound political, but it's certainly not intended to be. The New York Times, um, over the last six months to a year, has had some dust-ups within the newspaper where um, there are claims by senior members or people that have left that a very outspoken, um, young, idealistic left wing is is often um, asking for unrealistic goals and articles. Um, and you, you've seen people displaced there, people let go, um, people having to defend the New York Times turf. You know, Bill Morrow says, you know, as as long as we don't go crazy, we should win. The left should win all these elections. What what do you make of what has happened to the New York Times? Where often they have to defend their turf within their own newsroom. Are you is that part of vibrant journalism? Is that part of being, you know, the, the paper of record? Or do you think it's worrisome at some point? Well, not to weasel out, but since I do work for the New York Times from time to time, <laughs> you might not be getting the most objective answer. Look, I think the the bottom line is that news organizations, whether they be on air or in print or digital or whatever, um, particularly something as big and as important as with a long history as the New York Times, people pay a lot of attention to not just what they produce, 
but what's going on behind the scenes. Right. And that is, you know, the New York Times is used to covering the White House or CNN or something like that and looking at the backroom machinations and executive developments and all these, how decisions are made and personnel changes. And it's probably pretty uncomfortable when people do it to them. Um, and they've gone through, uh, you know, their fair share of, 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 of challenges. But I think that, you know, look, uh, Dean Piquet and, and others, uh, I think they're trying to communicate as best as they can about why some of these decisions have been made and trying to, at the same time, keep uh, their, their, their newsroom happy and uh, be, keep the optics about the brand happy. You know, it's interesting. Cable, obviously, the more dogmatic your opinions, uh, ideologically driven, usually the larger audiences you get. And I do think at times it pulls at more centrist and um, reporter reporting based outlets that they feel almost obligated to even if not having strong opinions, res respond to strong opinions from the left or right overall. How did you think the coverage, cable TV, broadcast network, print journalism, podcast, whatever you want, how did they handle the election? Trump is a, I mean, it, it's, tr you're going to get dirty when talking Trump. I mean, that's just the reality of covering him. Overall, how did you think the media coverage stacked up? I mean, look, it's, it's really like, it's about theology, really, because it's almost like you're picking your church or your synagogue or whatever <laughs> you want to be comforted if you have a certain if you have certain ideological predilections or you feel more comfortable with a certain candidate or a certain party or whatever there are places that you can go and you go there and you go to tucker carlson at nine o'clock if you're feeling in you know in sync with his thought so you go to be comforted you go to to be reminded that somebody out there is thinking and saying what you're what you believe in you go there because you want to be armed with some things to say to you know perhaps somebody who's 180 degrees different than you are the next morning at the uh, at the coffee machine and it doesn't matter what you think there is a place for you to go and there are very there are fewer and fewer americans who don't feel like they're they want to operate between the proverbial 40 yard lines. They understand what they want and they don't want to hear, they don't want to go and listen to somebody who's saying something totally the opposite. So it's a, it's a coping mechanism. It's a, it's a comfort. It's a, it's a reinforcement. And, uh, and I think that we're, you know, sometimes people talk about the fact that everything is so fractured out there and, and that's true. But what it has done is it's given people the opportunity to be in, you know, to watch people who they they really care about and they agree with. What do you consume? I consume well when I'm not on deadline. I I get uh, in the morning. I have uh, about seven or eight digital packages that come to me from either individual papers or different services, and I I cram through them. I I want to. I know who I want to read. I know what I want to read. I have. I have kind of customized it as, as much as possible. And then I have probably one or two vehicles where there are things that should surprise me. I do think 
Um, I'm like you a lot. I'm really bad on Twitter. I don't take enough time to tweet, but I love Twitter for its delivery system. I mean, I can, you know, can read about art and, and science and other things that I don't have time for. And so in my feed on Twitter, I can see things come up and I think, oh, that's interesting. Then I can click on that and go deeper into that. But um, usually every morning I'm, I'm, I'm very curated. So I, I have a, I know between sports and politics, music, uh, film, all my kind of hot buttons. I, 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 I like starting the day being, you know, making sure that I'm covered in terms of what's happened overnight. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Winter's coming here in L.A. That means more rain. For others, a wintry combination of sleet, slush, snow, and ice. Whatever winter means to you, Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. All-season tires, all-weather tires, dedicated winter tires. Go to TireRack.com. Use the Tire Decision Guide to get personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from a full line of Kumo tires. Ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. You'll get free road hazard protection for a couple of years. Mobile tire installations available all over the country. Have you heard about this? They bring new tires to your home or work. Install them on site. Game changer. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. See their Kumo test results and special offers. They've been at this for over 40 years. Trust me, they're experts. TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com the way tire buying should be. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, 
features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Um, cord cutting um, accelerated probably seven to eight years ago where it became a deep concern for the broadcast companies. It could have been 10 years, but it, for me, it was about eight when I started hearing the term. Um, it's decelerated a little because now these, you know, streaming packages and pay TV, they cost as much as cable. Um, do you think because it has sports and politics and those both drive discussions in America, um, do you think there is a time do we hit a do we hit a floor with cable sports um, or is everything eventually streaming um, and it the, the end is is near? Where, where do you think cable goes over the next decade? Well, I mean, look, ESPN was at what, 100 million homes and now it's down to 78. I think there's no doubt about the direction. But remember, though, there's cable and then there's the cable companies. And several years ago, it was interesting to note when Comcast shifted and was now making more money from data than they were from cable. You know, so this whole streaming world, you're still, you, you got to pay for the bandwidth. I mean, unless there's some little toy you have in the backyard that's going to enable you to get all these all these things, you how do you watch Netflix? Oh, he's oh, I know, I I get my, you know, I get my bandwidth from Comcast or I get it from Spectrum or something. So those companies aren't going away. I I think that was the big mistake that a lot of people thought. Oh, that's the the you know the the declining numbers and with cable boxes are going to mean the death of cable companies and that ne hasn't necessarily been proven to be the, the the truth i think that one of the things though that there's a big goal, big goal out there for is now is that you have youtube for instance some a friend of mine figured they were able to subscribe to youtube and it's 50 percent less than the cable company yeah and they're getting everything that they want with the premium channels and everything else so there's a lot of different ways that you can find your own way now in the marketplace, which makes it even harder for quote unquote, the cable box. I mean, look, I don't, I don't think, I mean, my son laughed at me when he moved into his apartment. I said, you know, don't we have to wait for the cable guy? He looked at me like I was, you know, on crack. <laughs> I mean, he's like, yeah, right. I'm paying $200 a month, dad, forget it. And so I, I don't think we're going to be seeing, you know, an expansion of cable boxes at home, but there's certainly going to be as, as we get, more and more technologically savvy about this. There's going to be like YouTube and everything else. Going to be a ton of delivery systems. Yeah, you know it's interesting when I walk around. Anybody under 25 says they watch me on my YouTube or Twitter clips. Um, older people listen to me on often AM radio, um, or, or or watch me on television. But there, as you pointed out, there are you know in my deal with Fox and Premier. I've got all sorts of platforms, some I own, some they own, but we're increasingly monetizing all of them. And so I, I, I always kind of feel simplistically, James, is I just I'm not loyal to platforms where my audience goes. I have to figure out a way to get my product to them and then we'll figure out over time how to make money off it. And sometimes it takes a while. 
But I, when I walk up the street, go to the grocery store or the car wash, um, you know, it, it's fascinating to see where people get my content. And it's all over they, on every platform. My sister watches Instagram and Facebook. Um, the boys in my life see me on YouTube. And, you know, it's just it's a different world. I, I try to be nimble. I'm certainly not a business person, but I, I, I do believe that the audience drives the direction of which my career is gone. I no longer control it. The audience does. Or, or does that seem too simplistic? No, I think it's I think you and I talked about this a couple of years ago, but it's also it brings to mind the biggest cliche of all, which I think we talked about back when you were at ESPN, which is content is king. And so what you have to what you're doing is you're concentrating on what your brand is, what kinds of things you're interested in talking about, showcasing. And because you have your own type of content, how it gets disseminated. I mean, yes, of course, you have you know business arrangements and everything else, but that's almost beside the point. The most important thing is with all these different options and delivery systems, what is the content that you're putting out there and how unique is it and how important yes. is it for you to remain that? I everybody who talks about platforms first, I think, man, that's 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 a big bowl of wrong because then you're backing into things. It's just like, and that's why, you know, look, you saw your former boss Skipper, who's now starting this um, new company, content company. I don't know if they've worked out exactly where it's going to be, how it's going to be, where it's going to be disseminated. He just wants to be a storyteller again and, you know, and, and start with that and everything else will be figured out along the way. No, I can, I, I tell my staff all the time, let's just do three hours of good content. Everything else will take care of itself. Just do good content. It, it, if it's unique and thoughtful, We'll win eventually. We may just not make money on it today, but we'll win, a, win eventually. Um, all right, Jim Miller, uh, Tinderbox, HBO. What, can you tell us when it comes out and what? where are you in the process? I am. Uh, it comes out in September, Lord willing, and I am uh, under a 70-foot wave. I, I am. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> the last month of, of putting a book to bed is like a ground war in Southeast Asia. <laughs> And uh, tens of thousands of lives are lost. So uh, I'm just, uh, you know, if you hear a little hoarseness in my throat, um, you know, it, it's a it's a kind of a brutal time. But that's all right. Well, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to celebrate in the fall. Well, I'll be reading it and buying it. And as I always do all your work, Jim, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking time for us. Thank you so much. And it's so great to see you healthy again, man. We were worried about you. Thanks, man. Don't forget to follow us at The Volume Sports on Twitter and at The Volume Sports on Instagram. Rate, review, and hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and thanks again to Jim Miller. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. 
live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.